Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to the eighth Alien movie, or the sixth Alien movie, if you discount the Alien vs. Predator movies, which we highly recommend. Uh, it's the third Alien movie to be directed by Sir Ridley Scott, or it's the second Prometheus film, if that kind of thing is your bag. Yes, of course, we're talking about Alien Covenant, and here to talk about that movie over the next... Well, an hour, 90 minutes or so. Uh, two people joining me, two colleagues of such lethal cunning joining me. Uh, first up is our very own alien queen. She will literally hug your face. It's Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Hello. Um, I, I'm not sure I can live up to that, but sure. But you recommended it to me. I, I said the first thing that came into my head and then I realised it was a terrible, terrible idea. Well, I don't know. The alien queen is one of the most powerful female figures in cinema, Helen. That's true, but uh, well, we'll get on to that later. I want to talk about the Alien Queen a little bit. Okay. Next up is our very own unfeeling synthetic. If you prick him, does he not bleed white stuff? Yes, he does. It's James Dyer. I prefer the term artificial person myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's establish some credentials before we get into the podcast ourselves, uh, shall we? Uh, James is one of the world's biggest Aliens fans. I do love it. It is my all-time favorite film. Uh, I was also on set of the original Alien back in the 70s. Oh, for the love of God. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean to whip that out onto the table, but I'm going to... Wait, do you have pictures like you have on set of Star Wars? I don't have any pictures of this one. Um, So I have no proof. And I have no memory of it either, but my mummy assures me... (laughs) Your mother. My my mother, (laughs) who is in fact the Alien Queen, uh, informs me that she did in fact take me onto the set... Uh, and uh, she, her only memory of it is mirrors. There were mirrors everywhere because obviously there's long corridors on the Nostromo and they were quite short corridors with mirrors at the end. Uh-huh. So, they you know, movie mirrors. magic demystified. Okay. Um, and uh, I remember them showing me... Uh, this, this but I genuinely do remember. I remember them showing me uh, uh, like a big book of uh, all the um, uh, the costumes and the concept art and the suit stuff for Alien. Because I only remember because my mother said to me, she said to me, now you need to promise not to be scared, which is an odd promise to elicit from a child but she made me promise not to be scared and then she showed me the book with all the sort of Geiger-esque weirdness in it which <laughs> sorry, in many sorry. ways explains a lot about the way I've turned out as an adult in so, fact um, Geiger-esque or just Geiger <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. um, wow that's that's kind of amazing that uh, what age were you four it would have been about four yeah. four and you're watching chest bursters and Face huggers and things that look like willies. It's all teeth. really sort of psychosexual. It's quite. I mean, I, if I would not show that to a child, if I'm honest. No, with you. no. <laughs> um, we, yeah. Your mother may be getting a visit from the, the social yeah. services. I'll, so, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to my dad. Get yeah, it, get many it, decades like... late, but I'm afraid, Mrs. Tyre, <laughs> we need to take you away. Yeah, you may have to move out. Maybe they'll put me into care. <laughs> Maybe they will. Finally, um, Helen. Hello, I was on set of this film. There we go. Yeah. Credentials firmly established. Uh, where are you? Where, where, what's your favourite alien film? Aliens. Aliens. Sorry. And uh, also That's aliens. The, that is the correct yeah. answer. Uh, and yes, to establish my credentials, yes, I'm also an <laughs> aliens person. Um, <laughs> oh, but I was God. also on set of the last movie in the franchise, which I believe was called Prom Atheus. Uh, is that correct? Yes, it was about a monster going to his high school dance. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been a better film? <laughs> anyway, anywho, that's enough of that nonsense. Um, before we get into the film, Couple of things. As ever, this is a spoiler special. We were discussing all the plot twists in Alien Covenant over the next hour or so. Uh, all the third act stuff, all the revelations, all the twists, if you will, uh, all the heavily 
telegraphed twists, if you will. Um, uh, so if you have not seen this film, highly to your nearest multiplex or art house cinema, see Alien Covenant and then come back and then let the spoilers wash merrily over you. Okay, that seems fair. Uh, and the second thing is, before you hear from us, we're going to hear from Sir Ridley Scott. Uh, Helen, you spoke to him? I did. A number of times for this film, I believe. Okay. <laughs> uh, but you spoke to him for the spoiler special? I did, yes. How was he? Um, he was on fine form, actually. He was uh, he was in fine fettle. He was delighted to be back in the very fancy Hamyard Hotel in Soho. Uh, which he'd liked, uh, and uh, and he, I think, was quite forthcoming. So, so see what you think. Enjoy. Yeah, quite spoilerific. Uh, moderately so. Happy yeah. To, happy to he, he said he said at first he you know obviously wouldn't be going into any massive spoilers. So I kind of took it quite slowly, and then he got into massive spoilers. So <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Fair enough. Here it is, Sir Ridley Scott talking to Dame Helen O'Hara. Enjoy. So, um, welcome to the Empire Podcast, and we're joined today very excitingly by Ridley Scott. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Good Hello. morning. Good afternoon. <laughs> um, so, uh, this is uh, this is our spoiler special interview. We we loved the film, um, or at least I loved the film. I was on set last year uh, in Sydney. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And and it was fascinating to see just the the scale of the sets and and the the sort of the reality of of sure. the film. I mean, Sydney, I've got to say, is a fantastic studio. And I, I would, if I'd been only younger, I'd seriously consider living there. Sydney today is spectacular. Mm. And the environment is fantastic. And I love the Australians. So I had a really good time. I was there almost... We, we arrived there almost a year ago, yeah. yeah. But the um, place, great experience and uh, love the place. Mm. Yeah, and you had those astonishing outdoor scenes at Milford Sound as well. Oh, which... yeah. But the, yeah, the New Zealand place is just amazing but that has eight meters of water a year for wow eight meters but it's because it's cool when we, it's cold to cool when we were there which is perfect for me but then it gets very hot and sweaty <laughs> yeah that would not be that no, would not be no, no no definitely not especially when you've got people in spacesuits and everything else no we hit the perfect time yeah. yeah um so i mean tell me about a little bit about the filming when did you decide to bring back the beast itself because i think you had a bit of reluctance to do Prom. that at first well i thought he was dead and cooked you know orange in his mouth and uh i think it was a great original beast spectacular which i think why it stays with people it's primordial it's uh, mm. it's uh, disturbing yeah. In the way that I'm trying to think of an animal that's disturbing. I think I think what always is disturbing, honestly, is a shark. Mm -hmm. uh, it's truly predatorial. Truly, it doesn't sleep. You know that they can't sleep; otherwise, they would drown. So, a shark is always on the move, which makes it an AI. It makes it an alien. I yeah. think uh, maybe because its brain is tiny as well. So, it's a perfect killing machine. So, it's a pretty good and you know description on. The alien is a killing machine, but therefore, it's, we thought in the original alien, was it a weapon? Mm -hmm. I always thought, biomechanoid weapon. But the aliens two, three, and four never asked the question, who, what, why, and when? Why would you do that? What was the ship, etc.? So I came back with Fox saying, listen, we can resurrect this whole thing into a much bigger universe than just shoot him up, shoot him out, or kill him and get, or get killed which is what the first four were, really. Yeah. I mean, I was doing a B movie in a very good A way. But it's very B, you know, kill them, kill them all, scare the shit out of you, and that's it. And uh, we, I did. 
Yeah. So, but coming back, I thought we can now have a great opportunity to discuss about who made it and why. The assumption might be that the, the, the civilization, the power, power that made it probably were the engineers. So that's why we invented the term engineer, because in a funny kind of way, they could be perceived as the gardeners of space. Mm. where they're in their godlike generosity, they will fly around from time to time, visit a ball that is in need of evolution. So evolution will be dropping in their DNA, a donation. It's symbolic and a metaphor mm. because, you know, when you have so many uh, sacrifices done by the Incas and the Incas and the, who are the big killer, killing machines? Aztecs. Aztecs. There was wholesale on the birthday of one of Montezuma, he killed 5,000 people, tore the hearts out, cut the head off. Wow. So these are donations to the gods. So, you know, n nothing in our history is crazy. Is, is, nothing in fiction is crazier than our fundamental earth, this history on earth. So I thought donation of the body is a metaphor for moving on and then the ship leaves and the planet will grow. Mm. It will have life form, right? So that was the idea of that. Then one would assume that these people, if they, the planet went wrong, they would want to wipe it clean. But that could take 500 years. And when they revisit, because different visitors would come back, say, I'm not doing so well. Look at these human beings, they're jerks, and they're killing the planet, killing themselves, can't settle down like a bunch of children. We should wipe it clean. Mm. Right? Yeah. And which I'd hate to think that we're going to get revisited right now. And they say, you know what? There's, these are a bunch of wankers that we really should put in. We should clean the planet. Take about a year. We'll drop some of that stuff and wipe it clean. Mm. So it could come in the form of a plague. So in effect, I think the things that is dropped is a plague. Yeah. And it kills everything beneath it, but then it's insidious, spreads everywhere. Take about a, a year and you've got nothing left except a flora yeah no fauna meat is gone wow so but, but i mean this film introduces more the idea of a a circle of creation and destruction i think is that fair to say yeah. there's there's a there's a, there's elements here that that kind of mm -hmm. of creations create creations turning on their creators and and isn't that that's us mm. that's us that's just an evolution of where we are right now what's happening in syria right now is medieval yeah. And no, no it's, it's worse than medieval. It's wholesale, deliberate, inhuman, unfeeling uh, horror. Yeah. And, the, um, you know, in the medieval times, at least you could be forgiven for ignorance. And, yeah, ignorance, fundamentally. We have no excuse for what's happening right now. Mm. Yeah, it's quite a timely film in that sense, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, when did you decide also to bring in a Walter as well as a David? Uh, well, because Walt Hill and David Guyler oh, invited yeah. me to do the film. <laughs> and they're still on the credits and they've got nothing to do with it at all. Right. But I have to, by, by definition of contract. But it's fine. They have nothing to do with it at all. Haven't had anything to do with even Prometheus. Uh -huh. So, but I have to do that. And I thought, why not have Walter and David... Uh, in there, and I think I hope when they see it, they're going to go. Hang on, is he taking the Mickey? <laughs> of course, I am. I am. I should have known where the names came from. I didn't. Even, that didn't even occur to me. I just mm. thought they were sensible, you know, 
normal sort of names. <laughs> Um, but it, it was interesting having Michael play against himself um, because oh, yeah. you had a, a sort of psycho, uh, a philosophical clash as well as a... Yeah, I mean, a doppelganger idea is mm. always good. I'm trying to think the last time what I've seen where there's been twins. Uh, a good French film called Les Enfants Terribles. Okay. Oh, that was male and female, though, I think, wasn't it? I saw... I mean, the last one I saw was The Double, probably, with Jesse Eisenberg. Right. Yeah. Um but so actually, we did well with the doppelganger. Yeah, very well. Because I think it, most doppelganger films have been kind of okay, but not great. I think this is a very good idea in planting the superior model in David that actually has gone wrong. Because even AIs need servicing from time to time. So the test is Ozymandias, yeah. who wrote it. Of course, most audiences haven't even heard of Ozymandias anyway. So it goes over the head at that moment till later then Walter reminds it wasn't written by him. And that's where you see an AI for a moment, moment Michael does this momentary, terrible, momentary uh, disbelief mm. in that it can't be and then something tells him oh my god I made a mistake I have never made a mistake ever and by that stage he is probably in years David's probably got to be at least 80 yeah of course because we see him with Guy Pearce as a, as Just, a young man yeah yeah, yeah. so in the, in the scene with Guy Pearce put that in deliberately as a prologue but but I thought, I never thought I'd use it. I thought I may use it as web or, you know, um, social media. Because mm -hmm. then it'd be interesting not mention the movies thing. What was that? Um, but it worked so well in laying out the, the, the pitfalls of making an AI and where he can go from there. So within four minutes, Peter Willen knew he'd made something very dangerous. Mm -hmm. But couldn't bring it in him to actually destroy him because it was too wonderful. And there's an echo of that then with David himself. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So then the one, the model two, Walter coming in, who later reminds me, he said, you know, there's been a lot of improvements to do since you were made. But uh, in, at the same time, the Walter will have been governor. You know how a car sometimes has a governor a mm -hmm. button. You hit the governor button and you think, wait a minute, I can't go more than 40 miles an hour. That's the governor button. An AI would have to have got a, a firewall. Mm. You can't have an AI without emergency stop because if you've devised something where you've impounded it with so much information, what moment does that transpose into being stressed? Mm -hmm. Emotional is stress. Stress is emotion. If it gets stressed, stress is a heartbeat from anger and then a heartbeat from decision and resolution. So then you'd be in trouble with an AI and you wouldn't know. Because mm -hmm. it already have his defense mode up as to look benign. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, I love the playing with the logic of creating something perfect, which actually is so dangerous, the, the thing you've just created, that you're uh, an idiot. <clears throat> yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's that's been, I mean, that's been true throughout the series, I guess, with, oh. the, mm -hmm. with the AIs. It's always been a question of how far we can trust them and how far... But it comes from logic. Mm. The great thing is not fantasy, logic. If I've got a trillionaire empire and I've got a ship such on 2001 going into deep space they will never return but they're psychologically prepared for that because that's what's going to happen astronauts will go knowing they're not going to come back that's part of who they are mm -hmm. and but in whilst sleeping you have to have something in charge 
called a housekeeper. I call AI, and that's how. So how is the logic to all of that process? Mm -hmm. What the human, the great humorous side, how is that he's got he's, he's feels vulnerable. I don't think he likes human beings. So you've got the beginning right there of the inspiration for David. Yeah, in how? I mean, uh, you know, most people forget Kubrick. Yeah. I said what? I said, you know, do you know who How was? No. I said, oh my god. I said, okay, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're, a lot of your cast actually talked on set about 2001 and drew yeah. the specific parallel. Yeah. So totally. Yeah. And there's also a, a major King King Kong reference as well, as in Major King Kong yeah. uh, in Slim Pickens, isn't there with yeah. Tennessee? Yeah, I like Slim saying, "Was that a musical?" <laughs> Because I didn't like it, but I mean, yeah, I don't, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of theatre. I'm terrible <laughs> like that. I try, but you know, yeah, King Kong was a reference. Yeah, yeah. There's Slim Pickens. Yeah, in Strange Love. The hat. Yeah. Yeah. There's three things from Strange Love. Um, there's Slim Pickens, uh-huh. and uh, there's yeah, the definite the AI thing. Yeah. Yeah. Stanley's been a big influence of mine in, in his big ideas. Mm. Oh, another one. <clears throat> When I was watching The Shining, mm-hmm. I was doing Blade Runner. I was, I was cutting um, Alien at L Street when he was shooting The Shining. Yes. And I used to pop in, look, and then not allowed in the door. And um, in fact, I was there the night the stage burned down. I was editing. Wow. Someone said, the stage burning down. So I went out, had a look. And in those days, we used to have vodka martinis while we were cutting. And I'd walk out in the street in the rain and drizzle with a vodka martini staring at the stage burning and Stanley was standing there going, damn. Uh, yeah, it's great. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Film history. Because you, oh, you used so one the of the... barman, mm-hmm. I then decided, uh, took too long to decide, but about a year later I was going to do a film called Blade Runner. And I was trying to cast Tyrell and I suddenly gonged on on uh, the barman in The Shining. I went, there he is. Mm-hmm. So he's Tyrell. Of course he is, yeah. And he's in almost every Stanley Kubrick movie, you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere back there, you all see Joe Turkel in there. I think Joe Turkel's AI. Yeah. Because I saw him recently, he still looks exactly the same. <laughs> it's been, what, 30, 40 years nearly? Oh, still, I mean, it's looked pretty good. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. And you used the, the, the footage from The Shining at, at the, in the, the sort of the, the epilogue of Blade Runner as yeah, well, right? Just the yeah, sure. driving away in the mountains. Yeah. Amazing. Um, what else do I want? I wanted to ask you a little bit about the alien itself. I mean, the the first of all, I mean, this may be. I don't know if this is a question for you or not. But is there an alien queen in your canon? Is that a part of your alien life cycle? Have you, you know, is this a slightly different alien? Oh, you mean the new one? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's an opportunity for the whole thing to grow. Right. Because I think the first ones were action, kill them all, kill, or be killed. Mm. And then when I thought, you know, you can bring this back, bringing it back will be a much larger universe with bigger questions about creation. Yeah. And, and once you talk about creation and God or no God, then that really opens everything up. Because it's a big question. It's a very valid question. And is it the best? Con played on mankind or not or is there something else which is more real and more practical mm. I tend to think because I'm that way more practical and it's been turned into a form of religion yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And that's fine. It's whatever makes people happy and comfortable. That's the way you get the word faith. Hmm. And you have Oram representing that view here, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, he says, yeah, he, we touch on that. Because um, I wanted to make it more Pilgrim Fathers. That's mm -hmm. why it's called the Covenant. Yeah. And I was thinking more about literally the colonists going out from England to America and the rules and regulations that were drawn up there. Can you imagine the families that would be less... Be, being qualified to go, how did they qualify? Were they interviewed or did they simply pay? Yeah. How do you get on that ship? I mean, you're getting on a ship to go into space, really. Yeah. Think about that. You're going to a country of no idea. You know, indigenous groups, tribes there. Are you the black sheep of families? Are you the poor? Are you the um, unsuccessful? And in some cases, you've got to have people who are going there for a passionate reason of growing, a, a, you know, a new colony. Yeah. And was England just an abhorrent place to be? Why would they go? Because yeah. there were families, kids. I can understand a bunch of guys going, you know, tough guys and thugs and things like that. But I don't understand families going there. What was the reason? Yeah. Um, it's kind of weird. It's a big deal. And unless you're doing really badly in England, you felt you won't need a new a new place to go. I think that's the reason. Mm. So I think, were they all essentially not successful or losers? Just somehow at odds with society. Yeah, because it wasn't like colonization like Australia, which is fundamentally, you stole bread, you ended up in prison, or you had to go to Australia. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible choice. <laughs> yeah. Aussie, I think, I'm, I think he must have landed and got, well, hang on, I did a good Good, do, good deal. Because I think once you did a year or two years in Australia, you were free, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, I think it was luck, honestly. Yeah. Once you got over the shock of the journey and the shock of being never going back to England ever, I wondered a lot of, there had to have been some optimism there. Yeah. Where the sunshine, the beauty, and, you know, the early Australian architectural Houses that done in Sydney are beautiful. Mm. The barracks are beautiful, classic. Yeah. So the, the, there was a real order of of building a commonwealth, mm. part of the commonwealth and colony was well thought through, well done. May have been brutal, but tell me when it hasn't been brutal. And so, so there's an element of uh, some of these guys maybe being slightly anachronistic in their own time. I mean, Oram's faith certainly seems to be out of yeah. step with everyone around him. But He's, even James Franco's character maybe is a little bit, you know, more of a daredevil than the world allows him to be. Yes. Potentially. Yeah, but scientifically brilliant, yeah. probably. And um, I think, you know, you've got in Oram, though, he says, the reason I was passed over as the job one was because I was considered to be too religious and therefore what does that mean I'm a fundamentalist yeah. so it flips side away the logic of the journey itself because I always thought the journey would be very much embedded at least 50% in religion mm -hmm. security blanket yeah but you couldn't go there next when I get there I'm looking at the colonies and what happens and how it disintegrates mm -hmm. so, so what's the sense of destiny that he has yeah oh, you, well, they'll definitely go there mm. yeah um, but it's being written right now what for the yeah sequel? The, the sequel to Connor to um, Covenant right is that John Logan again yeah oh yeah John's a very good playwright and I, what I love is he you lays out the three acts immediately up front in simple skeleton form so you're staring at that and that's where the point of real discussion and detail starts to get embedded so once the three acts are laid out in logic there's a logic to it. it's got to have that good logic mm -hmm. 
and they're, that's they're, because then you got the engine. You got logic, you got engine. Well, that engine is everything in a book or a story or a piece of music. You know. Yeah. How early did you get to this ending in this film? You mean the ending? I stuck the voiceover in the ending simply because to remind me of what Sigourney Weaver did. Okay. Where she signed off. And it was a good way of, and those who missed the point, you knew David was, Walter was David fairly, when did you know? In the fight? I, I suspected as soon as he reappeared. Suspect is fine. Yeah. Well, that's why I had him go then, turn and look around. Because in that moment, AI or not, I am a very logical person, so I'm thinking, wait a minute. You mean he cut his hand off, changed his clothes, cut his face open, and went out there and said, if I just do it and fly, it'll fly by. Because I think you're sandwiched between so, so much reason to get out of there, then the appearance of the alien. So it gets forgotten. So that's sometimes where you cheat yeah. as a playwright. Right. So it's about 20 minutes I cheated with. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, once you're up and on that route, but that's good. Suspect is perfect. Yeah. But then did he really earn back the fact he's probably Walter? You, you, so I, again, I was still suspicious. I'll be honest. Well, I gave a lot but of clues. I was, yeah, but he, and and there's there's little notes in his performance as well where you can see good. him thinking, that's good. which is great. Good, yeah. Um, and I think, uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't sure a hundred percent until until he was tucking her in, and then I was like, perfect. oh, perfect. That's good. Yeah. That's right. That's fine. I mean, because if you only find out when you're tucking, then you've kind of not enjoyed the possibility that something's wrong. Yeah. That's drum. Yeah. It is. It yeah. was. It was quite. It was quite. It was. It made the fight scarier because you're not sure if yeah. they have an ally or an enemy working with them or sure, against yeah, them. No, no. Yeah, lo- I mean, all my cast I was very happy with. Yeah. Even the ones who only had two or three lines, they're great. They're Aussies. Yeah. I spoke to is it Ulai on set. Yeah, he's who lovely. Was, who was absolutely lovely. He he survived longer than I thought he would, so I was yeah, very yeah. pleased by that. Yeah. No. No. They all. I think they all had their day. Yeah. You know, and the guy who was the second one to erupt. He's a very good theatre actor. Mm. Yeah. Is that Nathaniel? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great yeah. theatre. Tess is kind of brand new. Mm-hmm. I call her, yeah, Tess. She's kind of new. Are you Aussie? No, I'm Northern Irish. Oh, okay. Yeah, Tess is kind of new. She's going to be a star, I think. Awesome. Um, but I think, that, you know, Catherine is fantastic, special. Yeah, she really is. Billy and all of them. I mean, Michael is my third film with Michael um, the, the scene between Billy and Michael I thought was one of the real kind of yeah. standouts of the, well the, I think to give standout scenes in a film which is, could easily just disintegrate and shoot them up action bullshit uh, I think is always it's always a, a cut above mm. so I think there's a lot of good information where he talks about creation devils uh, idle hands of the devil's work mm. Um, come and look at my success. Yeah. So gradually you realize, oh my God, he designed this motherfucker rather than it came from the engineers, came from him. Yeah. But he need to use their black, deadly cleansing lotion. <laughs> um, so that's why he drops it on initially because he hates them. Yeah. He has no respect for engineers and no respect for human beings. Yeah. Um, I have to say, David as well is gave us some of the most creepy moments in the film actually I was I was more scared sometimes by him than I was by the alien and I think the scene where he kisses uh, Daniels is probably more disturbing yeah. than anything the beast does this time yeah. is that how it's done he says yeah yeah <laughs> that's the spirit you know that's the spirit of the stone from Blade Runner 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Roy Batty said, that's the spirit when he hits him with a pipe. <laughs> well, if you're going to steal, steal from yourself. Exactly. <laughs> um, is Daniel's a bit of a, a bait and switch because I think we sort of latched onto her as the protagonist of this film, but in some ways it's David, it feels like. Oh, totally. Mm. Oh, well, no, David's the antagonist. Antagonist, yeah. Antagonist. She's the protagonist. She's the defender of the realm, whatever's left the realm. But she's pretty well strident from the beginning, where she questions um, it, uh, the choice, the decision mm -hmm. to go into the planet. Mm. And they argue about the logic of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he says we have to. He's right and she's right. Mm -hmm. Ironically, they're both right. He said that was a human voice we have to go in. He said, yeah, but we can't go in because we're going to risk everything. And he said, well, too bad, we're going in, it's a vote. Yeah. 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 What would you do? I mean, well, exactly, and yeah. and and he's got he's got reason. They both have reason and logic on their yeah, side, yeah, which totally. is yeah. why it works. Was there more with Oram? Because he mentions, uh, I saw the devil when I was nine years old, yeah. or something, and that's it's just a it's just a line. No, it's a line uh, because I th he dealt the line so well. I thought was he molested? Right. I thought he he was maybe molested, and and then and uh, and probably again. And again, and so I read that. I let that sit. I thought it was fine. I didn't want yeah. to know anymore. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And what about Shaw? When you know, were you never going to bring her back? Was it always a decision to kill her off screen? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, whether we bring Daniels back or not in the next one, she has to come mm -hmm. back. It's, it's policy of them, but I'm not sure that's the right thing. We kept Sigoni on for, quite rightly. Mm -hmm through the whole five show yeah. process um, and Shaw could have she's awfully good she's great go the dragon tattoo mm -hmm. I don't know why they bother remaking that I mean the original have you seen the original it's incredible wow yeah. and to try and put actors to try and you know compete with what uh, Numi did is impossible yeah. I thought she really 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 was some street punk they found and I said, uh, where is she? She's in L.A. I said, oh. Um, so I met her that week. And in walked a very elegant woman. I went, you're it? I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, you're, where's the rings? And she said, well, you know. And she was great. And, and very, I love them because they're very practical. Yeah. Like Daniels is fantastically practical. Funnier than hell. She's a comedian. Yeah. She can take the piss really badly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I liked also that Daniels was... So from the word go, obviously, when we meet her, she's already devastated. Yeah. But she's also immediately back to work, immediately yeah. incredibly capable. There's, there's, I mean, even even uh, Ripley had a sort of a learning curve to kind of... Well, she started off as the pretty girl is going to get done in the first act. <laughs> yeah. And people are going, yeah, she's going to die. And so that was the evolution that way. But uh, Daniels is already written as the wife of... The reason why the captain, the guy, the yeah. leader, um, and that said, the whole team is a, a very, very. I mean, that whole team would be double first from God knows where, um, and all very good at their job. But she comes in uh, with a voice immediately, which I thought was fine. Yeah, and because she's the only other voice he can talk to, say we shouldn't do this, we can't do that, and therefore is, without being negative, is um, gradually getting 
taking the planet on board as a possibility mm-hmm. of a good place. Yeah. Uh, but that's why I use the Jerry Goldsmith music occasionally. And Jeb, the composer, was very for that. He said, no, no, it's so uh, archetype. It's so perfect. He said, when they walk in the field and Jerry music, and at the very beginning of the film is Jerry's music and people yeah. recognize it. There's weird, there's a murmur. It shows how memorable the music was. Oh God, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah that beautiful, score. Beautiful score. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, so so how, how far have you planned forward from here? It's being written right now. Yeah. So just, is it oh, yeah. one more or are you no, looking No, no, I think, I thought, uh, you know, the evolution from four shoot 'em up and shoot 'em outs, which is what they were. They're B movies, really, but mm-hmm. well done with a beautiful beast, right? And I think which makes him, li- it lifts above the norm, shoot 'em out and shoot 'em out. Yeah. And um, so I've got to thank Giga for that. Yeah. We'll never forget the that final character in, in the alien. And I tried to do the best I could with a guy in a rubber suit because I was the only one who got stuck with no digital work because by the time they started again, it was almost eight years later, yeah. I think. And so you're already diddling around with the digital work, but then Fincher was entirely digital and Jean, Jean Genet was completely digital, mm. I think. Um, and I think they're all seen too often. So the fact that I had a guy in a rubber suit means I couldn't see him that often because I was limited to what I could do. But it made it scarier. It's a bit yeah. like the shark. It's the shark, shark and jaws, yeah. The key is not to see it too much. Yeah. And I think partly it's driven by cost and difficulty. And, and the only thing about Jaws I always thought was strange was it's a perfect film, perfect. And it still works right now today. At the end, you got the fishing boat with a shark on the top of it. It looks like a giant sardine on a little boat from the bath. I don't know why he did that. I don't know why <laughs> he did that. He didn't need to. Yeah. But it's a perfect film. It is amazing. Stephen. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. So that was Sir Bitters. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take a number of questions that you guys have been sending in to me via Twitter. My DMs are ever open. Uh, and still... No nudity, which is uh, <laughs> both a blessing and a curse. That's <laughs> yeah. because, Chris, you've been sending it, but no one's this been... Is true. No one's this been is true. This is true. I have nudes ready to deploy uh, in 45 minutes if anyone drops a, a cock into my inbox. So, there you go. Lord. Be warned. The are calling it now. Be warned, yes. Uh, so, before we get into all that sort of stuff, let's talk about the film in general terms. What do we think of this movie? Uh, which, Helen, I know you and I have seen it a couple of times now. Mm. James, I don't know whether you've seen it. Just the once. Just me. the once, okay. Uh, where does it stand for you in the alien pantheon? I would put it above <laughs> so, the not two a tough question, alien versus <laughs> predator films. Okay. Ooh. You put it above those? Yes. Okay, that's... And, and below everything else. Oh, Including Prometheus. Oh, Sorry. Okay, interesting. It's a position. Interesting. We'll get on to that. Hell's Bells. Um, I would put it middle of the pack somewhere um, above Prometheus and the two Alien versus Predator films <laughs> um, and probably Resurrection, let's be honest. Well, I don't know. I, yeah, no, probably above Resurrection. <sighs> um, there is some fun stuff in there, but anyway, that's another spoiler well, special. Why? Okay, because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with Helen in this. Uh, I would put it... 
I put it. I don't know where to put it, but I definitely put it above Alien versus Predator and mm-hmm. Alien. Is it Aliens versus Predator? Requiem? Requiem, yeah, yeah. Dreadful, dreadful Oof. film. Uh, I'd put it above Prometheus. Yes, and I also would. it did make me. Which which Danny McBride said on set, it it would make people like Prometheus more, and it did make me for the first time in a number of years consider going back and watching Prometheus again. It but did clearly, make me, you didn't. Well, I haven't yet. No, but I might. <laughs> which I wouldn't have said, you know, three weeks ago. Mm. I, I, I mentioned this on the podcast actually last week, but my my thing with this is Prometheus. I thought, and I was one of the few people who actually enjoyed uh, Prometheus. I thought it was a glorious mess uh, mm-hmm. in that it was it was ambitious. It was kind of I, but I I, I saw it as sort of a, a standalone hard sci fi thing, and I think I compartmentalized it in my head that it wasn't an alien film, and I was able to enjoy it for a not alien film ness of it. Uh, I don't think it fits particularly well into the overall mythology. The thing with this is, this is less of a mess but less ambitious. So it's like it 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 has the grammar of Alien. It, it it kind of it flows together much better than Prometheus did. And it also kind of tries to fit into the mythology more. But it just felt like a retread. It felt like everyone who criticised the Force Awakens for being a less good Star Wars. Uh-huh. This is a less, 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 less good alien. But it's a much, much, much better Prometheus. Yeah. See, I don't think so. I, I like that Prometheus was bold. I like that it had crazy ideas and black goo. And it was, you know, it had a, a newness to it, a freshness to it. I think this lacked that. It just felt derivative. It felt like if you got a little bit of Prometheus and a little bit of Alien and didn't really do much with either of them and put them together in some kind of black goo petri dish and had David turn it into a life form, it would be this. <laughs> I, I, I actually agree with that, but I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. In the same way that I didn't think The Force Awakens retreading Star Wars was necessarily a bad thing. Well, no, no, neither so, did I. Um, so I, I do think it's a halfway point between Alien and Prometheus um, in a lot of ways. But I liked the whole David arc, and I liked the sort of the elegance of the circle of, you know, engineers create man... Man creates synthetic, synthetic creates alien, alien fucks up man, and synthetic also fucks up engineers. So it's kind of like there's a nice sort of circle of life kind of... Circle! Thank you. Uh, And also a sort of a nice, uh, you know, Malcolm and Jurassic Park kind of a thing going on there. You know, Life will find a way. Dinosaur eats man, women inherits the earth kind of thing going on here. Um, and I, I, I like, I like, I thought that was ambitious in itself and I think that David is still an ambitious character. Did I you agree. not feel that this, this almost felt like Ridley Scott trying to scrub Prometheus from the face of existence? Like, no. you know, the, the no, evisceration no. If he had, of Elizabeth Shaw's body. If he had, you know, then David would be, would not be clearly the ongoing antagonist of the yeah. series. And I think David is this film's one triumph. Well, yes, and, and if he's not available for the next one, they could obviously sub in Anthony Daniels, because, you know, <laughs> oh my, I'm David, I'm going to genetically engineer a life form. And, <laughs> sir, I am Walter. No, I am Crichton for Whitmore. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Llewellyn gets work as well. It's win-win all around. It's amazing. I, no, I, I, we'll get into questions in a second, but I, I actually do like David. I think he's a very interesting, intriguing character. Mm. The twist with his uh, uh-huh. replacing Walter is is telegraphed a mile off. Yeah. Um, but we'll talk about that in, in due course. Uh, the, the problem I have, and I've come super fresh from this movie, the second viewing of this, I, I watched the Picture House Central this afternoon, uh, came straight here, and uh, I had the same issues with it, more than, than probably more so than I had the first time, which is I think the first hour is pretty terrific. I, I think, again, Ridley Scott does a really good job with with uh, building tension and building a, an atmosphere. Um and then the second, the second half is just like Prometheus. It's a Prometheus sequel, 
uh, it really is a true Prometheus sequel and that the second half just falls apart and <laughs> does not deliver on the promise of the first hour. Um, and one of the things that this movie does, which I think is is interesting, is that the first Alien movie was obviously billed as a haunted house movie in space, mm. which I believe is a Pauline Kael uh, coined that, that, that phrase. Uh, but it is, it's a slasher movie in space, uh, you know, which, weirdly enough, predates a lot of the major slasher films. Uh, Post-Halloween, but pre-Friday the 13th. But this one is a pure Friday the 13th movie in space. And it has this this kind of tension between these philosophical ideas that is trying and ideas about religion and faith and God and man and creation and destruction that is trying to somehow meld to a movie in which people are so relentlessly stupid that it's hard to have sympathy <laughs> for them. And what I mean by a Friday the 13th movie in space is that people will wander off for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, they get killed, uh, picked off one by one. Uh, there is a shower scene, which of course was spoiled in the very first, you know, trailer. trailer. Um, and, you know, it is pure Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers slasher with a, with an alien instead of a bloke with a machete or a, or a big kitchen knife. And I, I, I just, I had a bit of a problem with that. You mentioned the trailers there. It's an interesting one. I do wonder what was going through their heads when they put together that marketing campaign that gave away the entire plot of the film before it was released. That was a curious I think that was me. a very um, focused attempt to make it look like Alien and not Prometheus. Mm. Yeah. I and mean, the, basically. The, yeah. And the problem is that the Alien stuff all happens in the last 25, yeah. yes. 30 minutes of the film. But... It's true. You know, if you'd walked into this movie, you, you'd probably go walk into the film going, okay, who's the captain of the ship? Doesn't tend to end well for captains of the ship in the alien, <laughs> in the alien movies. It's Billy Crudup, or as Nick DeSemlian said after he saw the film, Silly Crudup, because everything he does is just moronic. Uh, so you think, oh, he's not long for this world. But what I would have liked to have done was go into this movie not seen in the trailer how he died! <laughs> that would be, that that would be nice. Cool. That would have been pretty cool. Speaking, yeah. though, of dead captains, what the <laughs> fuck was going on with James Franco? Was this one of these things where him and Danny McBride are mates, he met him for lunch, and Danny went, hey, I've got a really good idea if you've got a couple of hours. <laughs> We'd like to barbecue you really quickly and then you can go. Because he dies in like the first five minutes, well, after the prologue. And I wasn't even sure it was him that had died. Yeah. Because his whole face is like, you know, you can't really make out that it's him. It's only afterwards when you see him in that kind of Harry Potter-esque picture thing, uh, climbing up a rock <laughs> face. A video. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's a video, James. That's what devilry is this you speak of. Um, <laughs> How does he get inside the machine? <laughs> <laughs> but that's when, oh, it's James Franco, all right. Because he had more screen time in the kind of, um, in the promotional material, didn't he? Yeah, though? he did, yes. Than he did in the film. You're right, because in the, and the prologue for this movie, which was released a couple of months ago, that's directed by Luke Scott, release Son. He gets a lot more to do. He gets yeah. he gets dialogue. But as someone uh, DM'd me, and I'll try and find your name later on, someone pointed out there's a couple of sly jokes in in uh, in the prologue. Uh, one of the last things Branson says before he goes off to get in the hyperspace, hyperspace, hypersleep, hypersleep, whatever <laughs> that thing is, the big bed, uh, is he goes, I'm burning up, and. Oh, then, then Tennessee goes, dark. yeah, because he's not feeling well, so that's why he retires yeah. a bit early because I'm burning up. And then, and then Tennessee leads him in a toast, toast to our captain who will literally become toast. Um, Ooh, yeah, that's dark. <laughs> but then the thing is that w that was also a little bit of a misdirect because I, I assumed that if he was going off to hypersleep with some kind of fever, that maybe the fever would somehow rage out of control in hypersleep. There would be some malfunction in the pod that would lead uh, him yeah. 
to didn't die. That there would be some kind of hookup between that and the main mm. film, which which didn't really happen. Um, I wonder. I think I suspect that part parts of that were originally going to be maybe in the movie as flashbacks or something else. That there was going to be a little bit more there, but I, I don't know. Um, it does strike me that there there must have been bits cut from this film. There's a bit where a silly crud up. Uh, it confronts David, and he becomes kind of aware that David is up to no good, mainly because David has grown a massive moustache and is twirling it. <laughs> and, and he turns around and he goes, I met the devil when I was a child and I've never forgotten it. And you're kind of going, what? Uh, yeah, well, what? Ridley Scott did obviously huh? deal with that bit. Okay. And he says obviously there wasn't did, anything yeah. more I've there. Listen to that. Yeah, you have. Oh, yeah. Um, he said there wasn't anything more there, but I, yeah, it did feel like something that could have been developed a little further. I, I actually, apart from the... Apart from that trust in, in those scenes, which got to a point of being very stupid, yes, I will agree with that. I think that there's an there was an interesting thing that they were trying to do there, I suspect, and I think it was meant to be showing how much people take for granted the sort of the the servitude of the synthetics. Mm-hmm. It's it's basically human privilege, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, because they they just assume this guy isn't going to hurt me. I can go with this guy. I can ask him anything. It's going to be fine. You know, he's holding something back from me, but he will just tell me if I ask him. Mm-hmm. It seems to be what he's thinking there. Well, yeah, maybe maybe, maybe and, you're onto something in terms of like, this Harry Dean Stanton thing again. That yeah. uh, he he is he doesn't have the information we have. We know that David is is one circuit short of a motherboard, and <laughs> you know it's it's not going well for him. And don't go into that room with the eggs because we especially know where those eggs are and what's in them. Yeah. But of course, Orem doesn't have doesn't that information. That. But come on, I know, <laughs> come on. I, know. I was wondering today as I was rewatching it whether. I don't know whether Ridley Scott is a religious man. I don't know whether there's some sly comment on blind faith going on there because uh, every bad decision that happens in this movie uh, is as a result of Orem, uh, who keeps talking about how he's a religious person. Doesn't really show it at any point, but he keeps talking about his faith and how his faith will help him navigate a path. And mm. uh, I wonder if maybe there's a sly comment on how uh, faith... In, and this is... Yeah. Hypothetical, this is not my opinion, of course, but in how religion is is potentially a bad thing that could lead us all to our dooms. I think there may be a, a little element of that going on there. Interestingly about religion, I don't know if you noticed this, but everybody, it's all married couples, but they all have different names. Yeah. Apart, and apart from one person's addressed by her first name rather than her surname. Who's that? And that's his wife, Corrine. Corrine. Well, Corrine, not... Oram or, or yeah. whatever. Corrine yeah. doesn't sound like a surname, it sounds like a first name. So you've got to assume that she's the only one on the ship who took her husband's name. Yeah. And that, that is, thank God, finally, uh, unusual and weird. Um, and uh, <laughs> and so I think that was a little bit of a, a sign of their religiousness and their out-of-placeness and their unusualness. Yeah. Um, he's also the only one who regularly gets called by his first name. He regularly gets addressed as Chris. Nobody yeah, else particularly I, I, gets addressed by their first name at all. I did wonder about that, you know, Daniels, and we know that Branson's first name is Jacob. I'm not sure we ever find out Daniels. I hope it's Danny. Danny, because people keep calling her Danny. <laughs> people keep I calling was, her Danny. Yeah. I was wondering if it was Danny Daniels. It could be, particularly <laughs> particularly sadistic parents. You never know. <laughs> like major, um, major, major, major. Yeah, major, 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 major. Uh, Jacob uh, Jacob Branson is is. Um, is uh, James Franco's? Yeah. No, who cares? He's dead. He's crispy fried. <laughs> uh, we never know Tennessee's full name. But the married couple thing. Before we get on the questions, I promise you, we'll mm. get on the questions. The married couple thing. That is a bit of an overreach for me, and I can see why you would go for it. You know, it's a colonist ship, and presumably the two thousand good souls on the on the ship as well 
are married mm. to some description. So you get there and you already have the family, you know, model the in place. Up, yeah, yeah, the family unit in place. Um, I wonder if they have any dogs and cats on that ship. Anyway, that's, but the, 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 the point for me was that must be an HR nightmare because they all are very competent, but there must be one who's not that competent. And he only got in because got, they were married. On, they've got they've got the whole of Earth to choose from. You can find married couples who are competent. I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, Exhibit A. I am part of a married couple, and I'm utterly incompetent. And if my wife drink again, if my wife were on uh, on that ship, and I would be tagging along, I'd be the guy banging my head off the of the the doors and pressing the wrong button, ejecting people out into space. That would be me. That would be you. But I know I know competent couples. Yeah, I do. Who work together yeah. as a unit? Yeah, but I also wonder what happens if they fall out. What happens with divorce? You're not, you know. Do you know what? This is what Ian Nathan was really worried about as well. It's interesting to me. But what you also have, of course, is a situation where people start dying very, very quickly. And yeah. what you really have then is a bunch of people going, mm, but "My wife's seriously, dead." Seriously, this is a problem. So the first time it happens, oh, oh, oh that's awful. The second time it happens. Uh-huh. The third time, oh, come on. <laughs> it's just people sort of in, uh, become an emotional wreck because their other half has suddenly been killed and then they're, you know... But we don't know that they're not followed by a ship full of singles. <laughs> That's actually very true. <laughs> Club 18 to 30 going to Oregon 6. <laughs> there you go. I mean, this could be just the first ship. But I, I do think, I mean, there was a deliberate, obviously, um, effort there to kind of echo the Pilgrim Fathers and echo those kind of colony missions to new worlds as far as they were concerned and and those were couples for the most part because you know you couldn't count on finding somebody when you got yeah, there yeah but also so it was a very coupley time it was a very coupley everyone time everyone was swinging it was great great times when, when do you think the fun happy Pilgrim times fathers lived <laughs> the, they, the puritans you remember they lived in no? ibiza they okay. lived in they lived in ibiza and they loved they we're, we're going to talk swing. about we're going to talk about history later chris okay um, and geography as well geography. <laughs> Good one to start, um, but yeah, that 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 slightly worries me, doesn't it? Because you, then you just have nothing but people crying mm. for yeah. for two hours, and then I also don't think that the relationships between the couples were established enough to really get across who was whose husband, who was whose yeah, that's, wife. That's tricky, isn't it? Because you need to have a degree of casualness among them. They've all been on the ship. They were on the ship for several months before they went into hypersleep. We know that from the, the, the little prologue thing. Um, mm. So they've been working together for an awfully long time. So they can't sort of be, you know, going to each other. Well, as you know, Jacob, my husband, um, <laughs> you know, that would be really, really awful. I think they should have adopted. But they were super casual about it. So it is, you're mm. right, it is quite hard. All the women should be called Goody. Oh, God. <laughs> it's just an idea. It's the future, Chris. Um, and also, um, some people's wives and husbands and things are still in storage, presumably. There's, there seem to be... Well, no. I is... love the idea of putting your wife or husband in storage. No, but um, Cole, who's played by uh, right. Ulai Kefu. I apologise for not pronouncing that wrong, probably. You got Cole um, perfectly right. I did get Cole right, I'm pretty sure. Um, but his, he, I asked him on set and he, he said his wife was, or partner, was in storage. Um, so hang on a second. I think there's a, there's a slight implication, I thought, that Rosenthal's husband might be one of the colonists who was killed in the accident. I don't know Very if that's slight. really there or, or not, but I, I got a slight read of that. All right, so... Uh, that's very, very slight indeed. So, okay, because it says at the beginning that there are 15 crew on board, and I assumed that included Walter, mm. which means that there's 14 humans. So yeah. they're, they're not all paired? They're not all paired, no. This is a bombshell. No, they're not, because um, most of them are. Okay. Um, but basically, uh, Cole certainly 
said his wife was in storage and uh, he's the only one. I don't know about Angkor yeah. as well, unless Angkor well, is married to Lope, Rosenthal. Lope and Angkor, aren't they meant to be no, a couple? No, Lope is uh, in a couple with Hallett, who's played by Nathaniel Hallett, Dean. Hallett, Hallett, okay, Nathaniel Dean, yeah, sorry. See, that's the thing, I could, I, you can't get a handle on most of the characters. Uh, but anyway, questions. And now, bear in mind, some of these questions, they, they were all sent in to me via DM. Some of them will tread the same ground. So if you asked a question and it doesn't get read out in the podcast, that's just because someone got there first with a similar question. So this is the first one. It's from at Wayne Pentony. Uh, asks, do you agree Covenant fell into the classic trap of trying to tell too many stories at once, e.g. the future of the colony, the origin of the xenomorph, the history of Dave and Liz? Dave and Elizabeth, I presume. <laughs> uh, what do we think? I didn't think that it was that inelegant in terms of the the number of stories being told. I think sometimes we were maybe underserved or overserved with elements of certain of those stories, but I I felt like that was okay, actually. Mm. There wasn't too much going on. It just should have been done better, (laughs) would be my takeaway from it. Um, No, I don't think there was too much. much I think there's a lot of crowbarring going on in terms of trying to to connect the ends of the circle. But then there are supposedly two films between here and Alien, aren't mm. there? So presumably that's why at the end of this we are no closer to having the first clue how these things link up because there is just, I, mean, I don't know what's well, going on. If anything, we're backwards, aren't we? Because yeah. we don't know where the space jockey came from if David has indeed wiped out a planet of engineers. Are there exactly. more engineer planets with more of those ships? Or is he flying off somewhere? And also, if he's created the eggs, and this will get to the, onto the Alien Queen thing I'm sure we'll talk about later, mm. but but presumably for the space jockeys to start weaponizing those eggs, which of course they do by the time Alien comes around, then they will have had to encountered uh, David's uh, life form. Do they have to have weaponized them for Alien? Well, they're all they're all in the cargo hold. Aren't yes, and they're sort, sort of, of protected by yeah, that protected shield. In like but they don't have stasis. to have done that, do they? It could be David. It seems a stretch. I, maybe. Don't forget, of course, in Prometheus there are symbols of the alien. I I don't think that this this alien is David's brand new creation. It's almost like they haven't thought it through. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's meant to be David's creation, or at least David's tinkering to make it specifically deadly to humans. Could I just say, every time someone says David, I'm channeling Judd Hirsch. <laughs> David, mean, David! Uh, Harvey Fierstein. Is David, Judd Hirsch? Oh my God, David, David, oh my God, David, you got my aliens, David. Oh my God, David, forget my lawyer. Ah, uh, That one. Yes. Yeah, yes. Harvey Fierstein. Okay. Or not. No, I think the alien has been seen before, or a version of this alien has been seen before, and David is just maybe finessing it, as you say, to mm. you know, just to make it because he doesn't like humans, does he? Because the neomorph didn't seem to have acid blood that I could see. No, they seem to have forgotten about that. So, so he seems to have been trying to make. No, he it does more... have acid blood. It does. He does because it, it it melts Walter's hand off. I thought, oh, okay, with its uh, super acid mouth. I thought it was just bitten off or something. Yeah, no, because it, 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 it's smoking because it's been uh, yeah, acid, right. acidized. Right. Okay, fine, carry on. Uh, so that, that was my reading in that. But then there's a, it gets shot in a pool of blood, and it doesn't seem to be eating through the floor. So who knows? Who knows? It, it does seem a, <laughs> a little muddled. And maybe you have to ask whether Ridley Scott actually gives a shit that it all ties up. <laughs> Well, this I certainly know there's another franchise that didn't always tie up and I spoke to the director of one of those movies and he genuinely, I won't name the franchise or the director, but he told me he didn't give a shit whether it tied in with the other films. So maybe that happened in here as well. Maybe so. it has. I, I mean, that is what I tried to ask him and if you'll notice, he, he did duck that question. I asked him, does his alien have an alien queen? Because people, various people, not naming any names, <laughs> on set said, 
He only really talks about Alien and Prometheus. He knows there are other films, and he seems to certainly have a lot of respect for you know those filmmakers, David Cameron and sorry, James Cameron. David Cameron. And, David Cameron. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, James Cameron and David Fincher. And the, you've and got the, a lot like, of respect for David Cameron, haven't so you? So much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He he has respect for those guys, but he doesn't really talk about or watch or reference in any way any of those films, right? Yeah. So I don't know that he does envision an alien queen at any point in this alien life cycle. Yeah. And that's interesting to me, but he, he didn't. You'll notice he didn't really answer that at all. That's that, that is, is very interesting. interesting because of course the alien queen and the idea that this is a hive species was all James Cameron's yeah. doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ridley Scott may be thinking, I don't necessarily have to. And then what's going to happen is once Cameron's finished with Avatar two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine, ten, he's going to come back for and, Fast twenty three, yeah, and, and then Prometheus's, and then we'll have more. Well, he'll he'll retcon that back again as well. <laughs> Prometheus's. So, yeah, this is the alien retconfinance. Covenants. Yeah, so that's that's what's happening here. Uh, so da- David is the alien queen, if you will. In this in this film, yes. Um, I mean, let, let's talk about David for a minute. I had uh, a little bit of concerns that his the dyed portion of his hair seemed too long. <laughs> Um, <laughs> really took me out of the movie. <laughs> really did. Um, I, I, I was interested. I was, as I said in in the Ridley Scott interview, I was um, very suspicious. Obviously, that there had been the switch in that last scene or two. I, I was, I was slightly suspicious that he was double, double bluffing me. Right, because it was so. It was so obvious. It was so obvious. I was like, maybe, maybe not. Maybe this is Walter, but Walter's kind of been turned a little bit, you know? Like he's mm. beginning to wonder if David was onto something, something like that. Not being funny, but wasn't this a Chekhov's gun thing? The second he walked in <laughs> as the same act, you're like, well, I see where this is going. And then the second he cuts his hair to look like Walter, <laughs> you're like, there may be a plan afoot here. I can't quite put my finger on what it is. I thought he yeah. just realised that he was in need of a deep condition and yeah, it was time to start again. I have guessed. Well, I must do something with my hair. <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah, I, that, that, that bugged me because it was so obvious because at that point, you know, where they have the tussle and then it cuts away yeah. and he comes out and he doesn't have his hand. And it cuts away just after he reaches for the knife yeah, as well. But it's just like, it could be a fake out. But if it's a fake out, it's the worst fake out ever because it's either shit and contrived or it's just shit. So you've got one or the other and there's no good way out <laughs> so of that. So harsh. I, no, no, it I is. quite liked it. But that's that's you know I that that was I think executed extraordinarily poorly. I don't I can't think of a good way to execute that. If I'm honest with you, well but. I think there's a there's an interesting relationship between David and Walter because all the way through what will now be known infamously forever as the fingering scene, <laughs> where Michael Fassbender fingers himself on camera yeah. and spawns a thousand fan fiction. <laughs> Essays. I know I've written one of them, but it's you know it's from that moment on. There's a really interesting relationship between the two of them. And during that scene, I was just waiting for the flute to be driven into Walter's head. I was just waiting for it to happen because you you start the yeah. wheels turn. You think, okay, this is what's going to happen. He's going to take Walter's plates, pretend he's Walter, and and so on and so forth. Um, See, I thought I, more of a, as a temptation thing. That's what I genuinely expected to happen, that, that Walter would become the new David. Well, this is what I'm going to say, because I think relationship is very interesting. I don't think David's plan from the off is to replace Walter. I think David's plan from the off is to seduce yeah. yes. Walter and take him on board, and we will create our new robot alien colony, uh, and Walter would go, why don't the aliens attack us? And David would go, shh. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, because you know, they, they don't know we're synthetic, right? There's no possible way they could know that. Hush now, child. He'll say, put his fingers to his Maybe lips. Maybe they smell different. We don't know. 
Maybe they do. Maybe they smell milky. Maybe they do. Ooh. Yeah, milky, milky. Uh, now, so there's a topical reference on the Empire podcast, uh, but I thought that relationship was quite, quite, quite interesting, mm. and I think it leads to what I think is a really knockout ending. Uh, it's when you think about the implications of the ending of this movie. It is James is making a uh, kill me now face. <laughs> I think it's a hell of an ending. I, I really, really do. Like it as well. um, there's we're we're entering a new phase of really dark blockbusters where studios are happy to either kill off or imply heavily that their entire cast will be killed off, whether it's Rogue One or, you know, I don't want to spoil too many other films, but there was a, you know, Logan, I think, is another film which which has a fairly dark ending recently. And there's another, I don't want to spoil another film, but don't there's another, another film, film. Yeah. Uh, with science fiction bent that came out a couple months ago and die on that as well. So who knows? Is it working? <laughs> I love a dark ending. I just, I think because this was so telegraphed and you were waiting for the penny. But it drive. wasn't telegraphed. It was. No, no, no. The switch from David Walter was yeah. telegraphed, but not David triumphs and traps Tennessee and Daniels into the hypersleep chambers and buggers off with his facehugger embryos and then runs a the ship. To what end? That's, I'm not entirely sure, but that's that's a bit of a sucker punch. Explain something punch to me. So he's replaced Walter. He's gone with them. He's mm-hmm. on the ship, therefore having his own genetic playground. His creation has come with him, and yes. he helps them to kill it. Why? Yeah, it's a test. It's a test run. That's what I took it as pretty pretty clearly. Test. He's testing the limits of his of his creation. He's seeing where it needs to improve and what's good what's good about it and what's not. Well, it is, funnily enough, it is quite stupid, isn't it, compared to... <laughs> no, it is. It's not, it's not as stealthy or cunning as, as the aliens that you see. Like, it just wanders on two legs. It just strolls in like it's coming out of stars in their eyes or something, out of the dry ice, yeah. and wants into... Whereas wow. I think the I, aliens were much more cunning. And I think maybe, maybe okay, this is me really getting into wild speculation now, maybe the, the speed of this thing's creation means it is less... Um, intelligent and maybe the slower life cycle of the original alien comes from his attempts to make it smarter. This is in full on excuses mode <laughs> yeah. at this point, but it's but For the it's an massive inconsistencies in the timeline. Hey, I think that could yeah. work. You're seriously retconning here. I'm, re- I'm massively retconning. proper good. Impregnated in like what, like ten minutes, isn't he essentially? And it hatches that quickly. Yeah, I mean the the, the life cycle yeah. is definitely sped up. And yeah. then this is this is alien versus predator speed. Yeah, the life cycle. It is. Yeah. The, the only thing I would say, the only major issue I had with the ending, and it took me a while for this to come into perspective, is that we now have, we have to assume, no Ripley. You know, Catherine Morrison was in the sort of the Ripley role this time, you know, as the, the leader of the resistance to the alien, if you will. Yes. Um, but we have to assume that she never wakes up. I mean, that may not be the case. We don't know. They, there could well, well be a way that they come out. I think if she wakes up, she wakes up with something... Nasty inside her yeah. chest, and it's about to burst down. I think that's. Yeah, I think that's. You think you have to assume that, and you have to assume that as these movies progress, the the demands of the plot and where we need to get to, if indeed Ridley Scott really genuinely cares about connecting the dots, yeah, uh, that all the leads of these movies will have, have to, to die. bite the dust at some point. But I, I, but I but think I, you'd lose something when you lose that, and I know that there have yeah. been bittersweet endings, and you know, obviously in Alien Three, Ridley sacrifices mm. Ripley sacrifices herself. Um, but it feels yeah. very, very dark. Well, this is a nasty ending. Yeah. This this is an ending I don't think that we've had in any of the Alien movies, um, discounting the, the two really shit ones, uh, which even Alien 3 has that sort of sense of lovely, you know, 
beatific closure, yeah, yeah. you know, as as Ripley sacrifices herself, Nobly kills, sacrifices yeah, herself kills the alien yeah. queen as well. This is a nasty ending. Yeah. Tennessee is oblivious to the whole thing. He is asleep, and if he is about to meet his maker, then fair enough. Uh, he you know, he won't feel a thing. Daniels goes to sleep knowing that she is in for. Well, she may never wake up again, and yeah. she's lost, and David has won, and everything's going to go to shit. That's a really horrible ending. And if you do dream in in hypersleep, then she's going to have some real doozies of nightmares. Seriously, that is, that is for sure. Uh, and that's why I kind of like the ending. It's kind of twisted and it's kind of dark. And David wins, and it becomes clear that he is he is going to be the figure that drives these movies forward. And he is such an interesting, idiosyncratic, twisted motherfucker that I am actually mm. quite intrigued to see where he goes. The creepiest moments in this film were Michael Band- Michael Fassbender kissing someone, and that's not something a girl would usually <laughs> say. <laughs> he's um he's Lucifer, isn't he? Essentially, because mm. all the Milton references. I mean, the references as a whole are laid on pretty. Thick. Yes. I mean, there's Percy Shelley, there's Mary Shelley, it's, uh, and there's all the Paradise Lost stuff in there. But I like the idea of him raging against his creator, and, and I quite like that thread. But um, also the Blade Runner stuff. Do you, was this intentional? Did you think the stuff with the nail and the uh, that's the spirit? You know, it all seemed like a bit of a direct oh, tip okay. of the hat to Blade Runner. I don't. I, I full confession. I don't know Blade Runner that well. So because that, well, that's well, a line that Batty yeah. says, and the nail feels like the one that he's kind of. Playing with yeah, some people. Film. Some yeah. people have some implied that Blade Runner twenty forty nine might tie in somehow, and that the universes might be connected. I hope not. Good lord! Yeah. Um, but they're different studios for one thing, so I'm not mm. entirely sure how that's. Why did she out. have the nail around her neck? I, I, it was obviously a nail me- meant for the cabin. She, you see her picking it uh, up after yes, Franco right, dies for the cabin, of course. But going back to the idea, and I realise we're not answering lots of Twitter questions, but we are answering lots of questions because people have asked stuff like this. Um, going back to the idea of the ending of the movie and, you know, the the death of Elizabeth Shaw killing her off camera in such a, a, a offhand way mm. felt very Alien 3 to me. And I think we're going to have to get used to that. And, you know, as much as I like Alien 3... Uh, it's not fit. It's not fit, you know, to lace the boots of the first two. But it's got a lot of good stuff going for it. But the problem I've always had for Alien Three is that it completely renders the ending of Aliens redundant. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I do worry that this is really spoiled Prometheus for me, guys. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to go back now, knowing how emotionally invested I am in Elizabeth Shaw's journey, and it comes to uh, it comes to not ultimately. But it's a curious thing to use Numi Rapace for that and then just dump it into promotional material. She doesn't actually feature in the film, but mm. she features in that slightly odd sort of prologue piece that went online. Because um, she's not in the film at all, and you have that sense of, okay, well, they didn't bring her back, either didn't want her, she was doing something else, you know, whatnot. But they did, and they had her, and that was how they used her. I do wonder if setting it to ten years after the first movie might have forced her hand a little bit. And also, story-wise, I'm not entirely sure whether she they wanted her to carry the weight of the of the narrative. Ultimately, mm. you know, David seems to be more interested. If she's in with David, then how does he get up to this mischief? True. But while we're on the subject of that particular sequence, uh, does anyone remember what Shaw's role was aboard the Prometheus? A science officer? She oh. was in charge of... Was she in charge just, of advanced, stuff. advanced robotics? Was she... How exactly did she manage to... Uh, essentially re-engineer David. Dude, there's got to be a manual in the ship. Uh, I think Michael Fassbender's line on this was, the body's there, the head's there, it's not too much of a stretch. The body, was in, the body was in the ship. The body was in the, si- <laughs> the, ship. Body was in the ship. Yeah. So it's not too yeah. much of a stretch that she could 
stitch it back on again. Essentially. With the space jockey screwdrivers. Yeah. I think what happened was that she, this is, this is why she was at the controls, because I don't really know why that signal was being sent. That yeah. sort of John Denver thing. Yeah. By the way, John Denver's having a hell of a year, isn't he? <laughs> uh, with Free Fire and this, and, uh, and this same song will maybe appear in a future, in another film that will be coming out this year. Keep, Who knows? Keep, keep your ears peeled, people. Um, so, uh, so what happened clearly? So why, is she, why is she flying the ship at that point? Well, maybe. The, reason, the reason is that mm. she is, she's got David's head and David's body lined up, and she's tilting the ship really quickly to make David's head roll onto his body and hoping that'll stick. And that seems trial and error, unlikely. But, but maybe that's what happened. <laughs> maybe it's meant to be that she's uh, trying to get control of the ship to move it out of the way. So there's that. What I'm confused by is we see the sort of Taurus-shaped ship. Um, hovering over the center of the engineer city, mm. uh-huh. and we see David dropping the stuff, but we see it crashed. Yes, a few kilometers away. Yes. So, why did that happen? They're not so good with the landings. But maybe um, Shaw took control of the ship. Maybe Shaw was still alive at that point. Saw what David was Saw doing. Saw what David was doing and tried to crash the ship. She's not there, she at the end of Prometheus. She doesn't want necessarily to kill the engineers. She wants answers from them. She yes. wants to find out more about them and where they came from. And her cockamamie plan is to go. Having seen what they've done to her, the rest of her crewmates, uh, once they're angry, is to go to their home planet and and stir up the hornet's nest. Confront them. Yeah. You know? Whereas David, Say, hang on, no, guys. Yeah. <laughs> now was David that insane in? Prometheus, are there sparks of that? There's this definitely would, sparks. Yeah. But drops, you might say. Okay. Because he really does, I mean, he turns up on that planet with the, uh, you know, all the, the forces of darkness at his disposal. For an advanced civilization, the engineers are unusually interested in the arrival of a spaceship. <laughs> since the entire nation turns out to stare adoringly up at it. Also, apparently, they don't have radios or any way to communicate with, an, with a ship that's coming back to the planet to ask them yeah. who they are. Ooh, spaceship! Oh, no! I wasn't entirely clear on why he decided to wipe out the whole planet. Other than that, isn't there the one line, isn't it, to create, you must destroy? That seemed a little bit arbitrary. Mm. It's a movie that poses more questions than it answers, <laughs> yes. I think. But um, also... The engineers are clearly very advanced. They've created life. They created life on Earth. This podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the engineers, so thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Is that is it just one city on this planet? And I'm still really confused by the black goo. Like, one drop of it in the water here created life, but also has the capacity to totally wipe out life. And also it can mutate and turn into spores, but also beasts, but sometimes not. But sometimes it basically just burns people. It's almost like it's whatever the plot requires (laughs) it to be at any point. It almost is, isn't it? Yeah. And where did the snakes come in from Prometheus if those those are just gone? I mean, maybe that was a native life form to that planet. I don't know. I'm confused. But surely there must be more ships on the engineer's planet, right? That can't be the only city. You make a very valid There must point. be other planets also. Yeah, there has to be, because they're very, very highly advanced. And the reason that they're going, ooh, spaceship, and they're not going, oh my God, we're going to get killed, is because it's one of their spaceships coming home, and they're pointing up, they're going, oh, look, Jeff's back. He went to the shops a few years ago, he hasn't been back for a while, what have you got for us, Jeff? Oh my God, it's Black Death. <laughs> Oh my God! Get out of here! But uh, See, the whole I thing feel goes wrong. I feel petty bringing up all these little inconsistencies, and I actually really like films. That's that what these don't. are for, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then why am I here? Uh, I like films that don't answer all the questions. I like them that leave dangling. But the whole purpose of this film 
is to answer questions. Yeah. I mean, it is by well, definition a linking film to join narratives. That's, that's so. the purpose of this trilogy. So we still have hope, or quadrilogy, quadrilogy? or whatever it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. um, so we can still have hope. Um, here's another question. Um, I, I'm not a botanist, so please do correct me. Um, if all plant, if all insect and animal life has been wiped out, which is what we're told, isn't it surprising to anyone else that the trees are doing that well? Yes. Because... You know, plants generally, not always, obviously, but many of them rely on insect and animal life to thrive. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, worms aerating the soil and, you know, bees pollinating the flowers and such. I don't know, I'm, Helen, I once watched a documentary on Channel 5 about what would happen to planet Earth if the human race just disappeared overnight. And yeah. the, the, in that, and it was in Channel 5, so I think the it's scientific veracity was yeah, yeah. unquestionable. Uh and uh, the, the trees do pretty well. Yes, but, but that's without humans. It's not without insects. This is true. That's and very, very actually, good point. if you look at the documentaries about what would happen if the bees died, they're apocalyptic. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's pretty bad. So, yeah. Yeah. That's only 10 years. Yeah, I think it should have become yeah. apparent, actually. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe it has. Maybe, don't maybe forget has. that our heroes are idiots. You must never forget that when you're watching this film. Yes. They are the stupidest movie characters. The thing is, they're meant to be really, really smart, mm. but they do monstrously stupid things from the off. They go down to an unexplored, uncharted alien planet and don't even think to wear a suit. No. No. Or a mask. Or just like a little... Breathy thing. Like a little breathy yeah. thing. You can but, get them in I mean, millets. Star Trek did this all the time, right? But what they needed was the one line that Star Trek always put in, which is that <laughs> the planet is safe to... You know, no threatening life forms. That's what data would have scanned it beforehand and he would know they don't have a data. They don't have a data. Well, they do. They have a Walter. They have Walter, but he doesn't have the scanner. He doesn't have the scanner. And also, the transporter buffer would have identified the microbes and screened them out when they materialised. Which would have been like the solution to all of this. Yeah. I'm just saying. (laughs) So basically, never send the Covenant to do the NCC-1701D's job. Yeah. That old proverb again. (laughs) But it is true, and it's very Star Trek-y, isn't it, as well, that the captain goes down yeah. and endangers himself and the entire mission. And again, as, as we said, it is at Orm's behest that they go down onto the surface of the planet. Uh, now, do you think that's justified? Do you think his reasoning is justified? No, yeah. I think it is. No, They have just heard a transmission from a human voice singing a John Denver song <laughs> where John Denver should not exist. Hey, John Denver should exist wherever he wants. <laughs> I think you'll find Starfleet Protocol insists that the captain and first officer cannot both go on an away team. Yeah, and I think you'll find that they always ignore that, even in Star Trek. So really, we're fine on Alien Covenant. But it is. It, it's, a, it's, it's very, very stupid. And even second time around, I was inwardly screaming. Not outwardly screaming, because I've been warned about that at cinemas before. <laughs> inwardly screaming, just put on a mask, for the love of God. You don't know what you're breathing in. You, yeah. you just don't know. They, they land and they basically go, oh, that's fine. We'll take some samples. That'll be okay. Uh, and then other examples of stupidity. Obviously, Silly Crudup uh, deciding not to... Uh, when he has David at gunpoint, he doesn't go, um, guys... David is clearly evil. <laughs> you should come here and, and help me out as I as I stop him. And then, of course, sillier Crudup when he walks into the terrifying-looking eggs. And I know he doesn't have our knowledge, but come on, man. Come on. Yeah. And then, of course, um, at the end, when they're on the ship and uh, Ricks and Upworth get killed because they're, you know, bumping uglies in the shower and Mother doesn't turn down their music. Yeah, that was weird, right? Shouldn't Mother 
be linked up to the sound system. Like yeah. in the 70s, you kind of would have bought it because you would have thought it was a separate yeah. system with the tape in it, but now... But now on. we're saying that the Covenant is worse than a Sonos. <laughs> yeah, the covenant mother is worse than Alexa. Yeah, hey guys, you really should get out of the way, guys. There's a big thing coming. Oh well, they're dead now. Oh, well. All right, more questions, more questions. Uh, this one's from at Steve underscore Gallagher. Was the fingering line necessary? <laughs> Laugh out loud. The action at Thursday night's IMAX screening. Overall opinion: one fast bender is more than enough. Oh no, no. no. No, I want. Uh, as Ryan Lambie of uh, Den of Geek tweeted the other night, uh, double. Increase the number of fast spenders exponentially in future movies until <laughs> I love this theory until eventually there's just a ball of fast spenders in space and that becomes LV4 2026. <laughs> That's where Aliens is. is, is uh, you can't argue with that. Can is you? located. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, yeah more fast spenders, um, but don't always do that switch or anything. Uh, and the fingering line I think is meant to be funny. I think it is. I think this is meant to be a lot funnier than Prometheus, and I think for the most part, in fairness, it is. <laughs> Uh, far sweet band why no helmets I think we've just railed yeah. by that mm. why the whole middle section with the flute why land on a planet you've done no research for when you've cleared it on a lot on the other one why crud up so stupid why isn't there an ending <laughs> <laughs> well there is an ending there is an ending and as we've discussed it's a hell of an ending uh, but yeah any, any reactions to any of those questions I, did, did you I, like I, the flute? I, I mean I understand where you're coming from I, I actually did like the flute scene and all it's creepy weirdness because um, I like a bit of creepy weirdness now and again, and I think you need to you need to make it clear that David's gone pretty much off piste at this point. And I think if you weren't clear before, that that scene really really does emphasise. I it. think it's important to his arc as well. I think that seduction mm. is actually an, it's an interesting idea that he's rebelled against his maker, but he sees Walter as his equal, or possibly even as a child, someone he can take under his wing. And I think it gives you insight into David's, albeit mm. slightly demented. Uh, psychology. Mm. I also and his really, ego. yeah, and his ego as well. But I loved the scene when Walter comes back with his kind of like upgrades. You know, things have uh, things have moved on since your time. I have a healing factor. I'm basically Wolverine. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> Do we think that, uh, Walter's dead? Yes. Um, I think if he isn't, he might as well be because I don't see how he gets off the planet. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we wouldn't really mind if he repairs himself. If, for example, he's mm. not fatally incapacitated. And he repairs himself. I'm sure he'd have a lovely time in that planet. And he wouldn't go insane in the way that I think David has. And I think you have to also probably think that 10 years on that planet has not done David's psyche mm. any any favours. I'm not convinced David's insane. I think I think he's quite cold and calculated because you see the germ of what he becomes in the prologue scene with Guy Pearce when he asks him to make his tea and he looks down upon you. You can see the fact that in his head he is a superior life form. Mm. Yep. He is essentially immortal and yet he is a slave to this flesh bag. And the wheels are turning, even during his first moment. I think that's true, but I think there there is an element of insanity as well, because you know, getting something wrong for a robot is pretty much meant to equate, I think, here to insanity. Mm. And it's not just the Shelley Byron thing. There's also he also says, "Idle hands are the devil's workshop." That's not the line, no. actually. So I think that's I think that's intentional. I think that's meant to be a slight mis misspeaking of of the, the devil's idiom. workshopping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think there are little clues all the way through. Little subtle clues that the, the crew of the Covenant might have been able to pick up on 
Like the fact that he's absolutely nuts. What are you doing? <laughs> also, the, the fact that he uses the phrase dire necropolis to describe his home um, is sort of delightful and, and deeply wrong. And by the way, if you weren't having enough nightmares after this film, I'd like to mention something I learned on set, which is that the bugs in David's chambers, those bugs kind of pinned to the walls that he's been studying all of these different life forms, most of those are real earth animals. Yay. Actually existing, those gigantic things. What do we think he... You were on set, you might have an answer to this. Uh, well, what do you think he was doing with Elizabeth Shaw? What, what was his big plan? Do you think he... Was it humane? Did he just kill her in her sleep one night? Did she die of natural causes? Or He, he pretty much admits to killing her, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. he does. Yeah. He does yeah. But he seems to have this really weird, twisted relationship with her where he actually genuinely has some affection for mm. her. Yeah. I was do you think she rebuffed his advances in some way? I don't think so. I wonder whether he has contempt for humanity generally, but it seemed like he was doing stuff with her genetic material, like he mm. was using her DNA as sort of a recombinant thing with the So his stuff. version of the xenomorph is, a again, almost a human-alien hybrid. Or he was seeing how the uh, xenomorph stuff that he created would interact with human tissue, because obviously when uh, someone is impregnated by a facehugger, it adapts the DNA of its host, so perhaps that's what he was experimenting yeah. with. Yeah, that's what I sort of yeah. took from it. Go back to the life cycle thing again, just uh, something that's occurred to me, uh, is what a wasted opportunity Aurum being impregnated was because it speeds up so quick. I was really hoping and rooting that there'd be a really interesting and philosophical discussion between the, the robot who's implanted this thing in a man of faith. I thought there might be something about that, about God and the devil, and you know, I met the devil when I was a kid. But no, he just basically goes, you know, what are you looking at, creation, and then bursts out of his chest in a, in a way that's, again, much faster than, than John mm. Hurt, who's yeah. in absolute agony and in Alien. I just think that was a bit of a missed opportunity, to be honest. And I think that the Aurum thing is a bit like Elizabeth Shaw's faith in, in Prometheus, a bit half-assed and not really developed along uh, the lines it could have been. Mm. Yeah, that's possibly fair. I, th- I think uh, Aurum was... I actually got quite interested in where he was coming from, what he was doing, despite his sometimes questionable decision-making. Mm. And so I did. Billy Crudup is such a damn good actor. Isn't he good, though? he can make you overlook the fact that he's making silly decisions. We haven't talked a lot about... Daniels herself, who yeah. I actually quite liked. I think she's, I think some of the drama of her position is sort of lost because she's so competent. And I think she sort of, like, she gets back to work within hours, essentially, of her husband dying. And yet we've already, we've had that one scene in which she manages to communicate that she is devastated. And then she just gets back into it. And I thought that was, it was actually quite an impressive piece of work by, by Catherine Waterston just to sort of make that in any way work, because it really mm. shouldn't have done. Um, she was very... She was just very competent throughout, in a weird way, as far as the crew of The Covenant can be, I thought. I quite liked her. <laughs> the clanging Keystone Cops <laughs> <laughs> wannabes it is that are the crew of The Covenant. I'd love to see the advertisement for that. Do you have any qualifications? Yes? Well, you're not welcome aboard the... the, the uh, I was going to say the Alien Covenant, but that would have been a giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> Please come aboard the Alien Covenant. Uh, Jimbo, any thoughts on Daniels? Uh, I, I I didn't like her haircut. <laughs> no, well, um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's probably not what you were looking for, but I think she needed to see a stylist. See, I thought it was a Joan of Arc thing, and she explained that she was really impressed by, of all things, Ezra Miller's hair in Fantastic Beasts. Really? Which she thought was Joy Division-y, and therefore... S- 
sorry. Modelled herself on that. Oh, see, I thought it was a bit of a Ripley callback, but uh, again, there was that would a little have been, bit of that. That would have been Cameron Ripley as opposed to. Yeah, there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of reading about real astronauts and why they keep their hair short, but so also it doesn't flap around in zero g. Uh, also, because you can't cut it in space, you have to use like a vacuum cleaner weird thing. I'm not kidding. <laughs> what, like in Wayne's World? The yeah. suck cut? <laughs> yeah, basically. Amazing. Because you can't have loose hairs like floating around the space station. But they yeah, don't in the, on the Covenant. They've got... I know they don't have gravity. zero G, but yeah. she was kind of homaging real astronauts with it. No, I, do you know what? I think she was actually very good. Uh, yeah. I think I think she 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 did a lot with that performance. She had an awful lot of heavy lifting to do, and I think she did it fairly convincingly. Mm. And the very final scene of her the kind of revelation you know when she finally catches up to everyone else who knows clearly that's David <laughs> uh, despite being utterly stupid she's um, I mean she really conveys the absolute blind panic horror of yeah. it and the impotence of just having no way to do anything about it and that I think is what makes that ending re- just her reaction yeah exactly, yeah. exactly also in, in fairness to her um, she is the one who casts the suspicious glance at Walter when he comes back and makes sure that he has no hand and that mm. he has the same scars that she remembers. So she's clearly alert to the possibility, just convinced by what she says, unfortunately. <laughs> oh my God, Walter, Walter. I really like the touch of David and Walter. Yep. Are named after David Geiler and Walter Hill. That's, that's nice. Although it does break the A, B, C, D, E oh no. chain of, of androids in the Alien movies. God damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Hang on, is it Ash, Bishop, Call, David? So maybe Walter's not his first name. There Eugene. you go. Eugene. Edward. <laughs> Edward Walter. <laughs> uh, okay, a couple of last questions from a racer, these real quick. Uh, C and David, I think we may have talked about this, but that's, uh, a lot of people have asked this. C and David dropped the WMD and wiping out the engineers. How do you think the juggernaut with the full xenomorph egg payload got to LV426 and was the space jockey actually an engineer or not? We've no way of knowing at this point, but I would mm. imagine that, yes, I, I don't think the engineer's race is run. I think they will come back into it in some way. Um, I just, I'm fascinated to see what David's plan is now. What is he going to do? Is he, you know, you can see his eyes light up when Orem goes, uh, he goes, how many, how many people on board? And uh, Orem goes, 2,000. Oh! And he has, to, he has to hide his robot boner for a little bit. Oh, okay, well, that's very interesting information. And... What's he going to do? He's going to get to Oregon Six and have a big old xenomorph party, is he? Yeah. How does he? I mean, there's that bit where he communicates with the neomorph and he goes, you know, if you breathe in the nostrils of a horse, yeah, but a horse can't do it. This can they? (laughs) You just avoid. You don't stand behind a horse and it might kick you. Um, But this thing will bite your face off. But he seems to have. Yeah, maybe he has coded in some kind of. Yeah. Immunity for himself. Like a mother instinct, maybe. But I don't think it works like that. I don't think it's like it'll imprint on the first thing it sees because then the alien and alien would have been all friendly with... Maybe he's genetically coded the imprint on him somehow into its... Deep into its DNA. What do we think of the alien when it burst out of Orem's chest and started doing like a little Rocky on the steps? (laughs) It's it's odd, isn't it? Because he's made a conscious decision to make it look nothing like the... You know, chestburster of law. But he's, I mean, they said in the creature shop that they tried to go back to Giger's original paintings as their model for the alien in this and, and make it more organic looking. And actually, if you do go back to Alien, like those look like vacuum cleaner pipes coming mm. out of its back, let's be honest. So they've tried to make it more <laughs> organic, they've tried to make it a little bit kind of gloopier it's and bonier. Spindly and Groot-esque when it comes out yes. in this one. Yes, that's As opposed to in Alien, it's basically just like a worm, isn't it? You know, yeah. A little wriggly it's, thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's clearly CG in this one as well. Yeah. In, At that point, yeah. Yeah. A lot of it was practical. Obviously, a huge Oh my God, they actually practical. made the aliens. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Uh, but yeah, I, I was a bit disappointed by how, again, just go the life cycle thing, but how quickly they were able to kill people. Like the neomorph slithers out of those people and within seconds it's... It visibly, it visibly yeah. grows as you're watching it. Yeah, it smashes, you know, Carmen. I don't exactly know what happens to her, but bad things happen. Mm. I really like that sequence. I, I thought, you know, up until that point, that's where he had a real handle on things. It's actually, the, weird enough, for someone who really likes David and really likes the implications of, of what David could do, it's when David enters a film that it begins to fall mm. off a cliff. Because it's that, that sort of Jurassic Parky moment, isn't it, where they're... Raptors essentially attacking the group. Mm. Yeah. That's nice. I like that. Well, more of a lost world sequence. Lost but, world, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, that was really good. And then he comes in like, uh, you know, in his cape and hood with his little gun. Yeah. I presume that he's killed all the... Because when he uh, wipes out all the engineers and you see various hybrids and various neomorphs emerge from some of their bodies. Now, either they kill each other or he kills them or I they think die the out over they, time. They, they've killed each other. I think the idea of the, of the alien as a biomechanical weapon, I think, is that it will wipe a planet of life if you leave it alone. Mm-hmm. So it will it will take over all life, it will turn it all into its hybrids if it doesn't just kill it outright, and then they will all kill each other because they're just killing machines. Although that doesn't really gel with what's happened in previous films. No, I know. <laughs> just saying. But the only previous films were, were sure he acknowledges are Alien and Prometheus. Yeah. He should watch Aliens. It's very good. It's he a should. good film, yeah. 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 It's a very, very good film. Uh, Sam Sprague asks a very interesting question, pertinent perhaps. Uh, has the actual alien, like a lot of movie monsters, lost a fear it once had after many years of being in pop culture? Most mm-hmm. of the creepy things I found in both this film and Prometheus were the newer monsters, and obviously David is the figure of horror here, not the alien. Yeah. There's a bit of that, but I, I will say that there is a terrible trend in modern filmmaking that... Every single bad guy who is around for more than about three films becomes a good guy. And that is true. If they tried to make mm. Hannibal Lecter sympathetic. They tried to make the Velociraptors a good guy. <laughs> Never mind Darth Vader, okay? <laughs> They've tried it with every iconic bad guy out there pretty much. Now, the alien, they actually haven't tried it with, but they have given him a backstory. And you could wonder if that, you could question whether that is also necessary with this whole thing. Hey, Helen, this was, this film focuses on daddy issues. You okay with that? <laughs> you all right with that? I guess it does, but yeah. when the daddy's a robot, at least it's a twist. Yeah. Um, okay. But, I, you know, it genuinely, I, I do think that's a thing. I mean, you know, we had another film last month where uh, an absolutely brilliant villainous character was made into a good guy, Geezer. Um, so, <laughs> it's fast eight, Chris. Oh, you know, and I feel like every I've forgotten the plot level. <laughs> oh right, yeah, yeah, the, the stake. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Every okay, villain yeah. out there is it seems to be redeemed, and I'm, you know, that's that's getting. So you're little... expecting in the next one, alien, whatever it's going to be called, the rock to turn up and <laughs> and have a letter of commendation for the alien. Oh, Commander Alien. No, oh, see, all oh, right, the distinction on uh, planet LV four two nine. Okay, I think the next Bond film is going to see him team up with Blofeld at this rate. It's Don't ridiculous. give them ideas. He does make a valid point in this, and I think the neomorph is more frightening because it it feels more alien. Like you don't mm. know quite what it is. It's strange. What is its life cycle? What are the modeled, mysteries? Modeled on a goblin shark, which is a creature straight out of nightmares. Nice. <laughs> but when the actual alien comes in, we're very familiar with its 
uh, its habits, its limitations. You're very, and we've seen them killed before. I do think it has lost a lot of its ability to scare. Uh, I think certainly if- in this film, I didn't find this film scary in the slightest. I found the near more stuff slightly unnerving, uh, but certainly the final act. I, I mean, I didn't. Didn't find particularly tense. I think a large part of that is because, although Helen says a lot of it was practical, the, the alien looks really CG to me. It does. Uh, and it, it moves in a, in a way that kind of distracts me. The alien of the first one is a very elegant, slow-moving creature that, you know, mm. it'll take its time to kill you. It, it You know, at the end, when Ripley's in the, uh, in the shuttle, it just kind of lies around, lounges around, taking a bit of a breather, going, hey, I, hey you, I'm going to get to you in a second. If you just hold there, take a number, I'll be fine. I think the idea is it's asleep at that scene, isn't it? It's just, I don't know if it's asleep. I think, I think, it's, it's, I think it's there and it's kind of waiting. But even then... When no, it, it tucks itself in a corner. It very much feels like it's to me, a, it, a, new, a fairly newborn creature yeah. that's had a tough day. It has had a tough day. And no one ever thinks about the alien. No one ever thinks about the alien. <laughs> Except, no, I don't want to encourage them to make it a good guy. Anyway, <laughs> I think it curls up and goes to sleep and she is trying to creep around and sort herself out before She's it making up. a lot of noise. She creeps. And it moves his hand and looks at her. And then it's basically, oh, you again? I thought I got rid of you. Well, you're not going anywhere. So I'll, I'll get up on my own time and kill you if that's all right with you. I think that's what's happening in that. But in this one, it is, they're, they're fishes little buggers. The Neomorph comes out of, um, I've forgotten, expendable red, red shirt Ledward. dude. What's his name? Ledward. 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 Jedward. Jedward. Oh my God, it emerges from Jedward. A terrifying entity that cannot be stopped and cannot sing. Oi. Oi. Come on. Come on. Come on now. You're talking about Ireland's Eurovision entry for Ireland's that one year. Ireland's premier singing, <laughs> singing entertainers. Jedward. Um, so it comes out of Ledward, and it's a really interesting scene, and it comes out the back. Ta-da! Thought you were coming from the front? No, coming from the back. Hello, my honey. Hello, my darling. <laughs> and then... Um, uh, and then it it proceeds to be really vicious and nasty. And that's that's actually quite a nice sequence, the birthing scene, because you can't repeat exactly what's been done before. That you know, again, coming out from the back and the way it attacks and the way it becomes so deadly so quickly. That's quite unpleasant. That's all quite cool. And uh, also, yeah. there's there's one neomorph still alive, presumably. We only see one get killed. Mm. There's two of them in the scene with. Oh, no, no they, they kill one. They kill one in the field. You're right. They kill one in the yeah. field. Carry on. Yeah. So there's there's two knocking around. Uh, so Walter's gonna be very lonely when he wakes up. From the forever sleep. A uh, couple of last questions. Alex Boltwood, aka Dialogue, uh, asks, "How does David create all these aliens? We see is he only has one one host, Shaw, from which to cultivate them." I think they're they're engineered from other material. I think yeah. those, those eggs are not all coming from Shaw. I think he's he's engineered them and he's tweaked them to be appropriate to human <laughs> hosts, but he hasn't. But he's probably worked with engineer material for that. Okay. Uh, David Kirkbride asks, "How much stuff do you think David keeps down his throat?" Uh, <laughs> apparently, two alien uh, embryos. Yeah. Mm. What did we think of the design of the alien in this? Because it's not the alien of Alien, and it's not quite the alien of Aliens. It's sort mm. of it's kind of falls between the two. I thought mm. it has it has more busy stuff going on on the side of its head than the original Alien. But less than the again, I think they're going back to the Giger pictures, and um, I don't know. They, they told me that the the skulls are incredibly fragile and easy to break, but they tried to make them sort of semi translucent, so they've got that kind of weird, mm. slightly gross quality while still being quite elegant. Interesting, mm. Mm. very interesting. <laughs> um, Mark Bruce, who clearly didn't like the film, uh, asked, "Did anyone genuinely care about any of the characters?" I really liked Daniels in Tennessee. Um, I the others I didn't maybe get enough time to know, 
But I, I didn't think it was disastrously bad. I think, you know, you know, you've got a couple of nice scenes with Upworth and Tennessee kind of arguing about what to do about the planet that where I think both of them come across as something resembling characters. Um I like Farris and Corrine, I think worked. Yeah. Um as I say, I liked Oram. Yeah, I was kind of there. I liked him. I thought Farris, uh, especially when she was flying the ship, I thought, oh, this is a pharaoh nod here. Mm-hmm. But um, but uh, I quite liked the fact that she was so genuinely terrified once yeah. the shit started hitting the fan and to the point where she locks Corrine in the med bay. Um, but she's still doing things. She's, she's still, still doing trying things. to figure out a way yeah. through it, you know, which but I, I was, quite liked about you, her. At that point, the the um, the, 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 the blood... Uh, what's this guy's name? Ledward? Ledward. Ledward. Ledward pukes blood onto Corrine and and then whenever the thing emerges from his back, it spurts blood into Faris's face. Do you think they're both infected at that point? Mood point, obviously, because they both get killed. I don't quickly. think so. I don't think, so. I don't think that's the way it works. It yeah. seems that that's just blood. Mm. But then, given and I can't even begin to remember their various names, but given that she's got blood on her, locking the other one in there with him seems unnecessarily. An unnecessarily dick move. Given that if she's infected, then so is she. Yeah. So come on. I do. I do think that it would make more sense in a biological sense if he were, if the blood were infected, you know. And it would make more sense if the spores spread more widely. Because what we seem to see is the spores come out and act in a very directed animal yes. fashion. At that point, they don't act like spores. They act like a thing. Um, and that's unusual, biologically speaking. I believe again, not a botanist or a biologist. <laughs> But that that's kind of a little bit of a cop out to kind of stop it being so widespread as mm. it otherwise presumably would be. Because otherwise, anybody near um, Sergeant Heller or near Ledward would presumably also be infected, and it would be a much wider problem. Uh, Monty H. Withnell asks, uh, "Where does the franchise go from here? Continue from Covenant uh, into Blomkamp's ideas? Neil Blomkamp." has been trying to make a, a, an Aliens, Aliens sequel for a while uh, or just stop and have a breather and this is something that uh, is echoing uh, a number of people have asked this question including the previous uh, questioner Mark Bruce mm. who said should the franchise just stop at this point yes James thinks yes, yes. and not not because I'm not a big fan of this film although obviously that's a factor it's just it comes back to the closer you get to Alien the more you risk damaging that film for me mm. you know the, demystifying it I don't want to know I don't please don't ruin Alien that's my t-shirt of the day I think don't we've, ruin we've Alien. come this far and now we've ruined it so much already well, why no, stop but, but now we're at a point where we don't know how that we still don't know how that ship got to LV426 with that cargo and with that space jockey in the sea we don't know that the whole point was we were going to know that at this point, I'm still able to pretend that these films have nothing to do with Alien. I'm able to kind of divorce them from the broader narrative, and I'm happy with that. Well, Please don't take that away from me. I mean, you're doomed in that case. Because if it really? comes close to ruining Alien, it's only a hop, skip and a jump from it ruining Aliens, and frankly, it's war if that happens. But Alien 3 already ruined Aliens. Shh. <laughs> it's, it's a double-edged sword uh, I don't know I don't think the franchise should stop it might stop depending on how this one does at the box office that's the, uh, that's the interesting thing we're recording this before it opens in the States I don't know how it did in the UK over the weekend because I was away anyone know how it did in the UK? not a clue. Uh, the, top film journalist this, we're, recording, <laughs> we're recording on Monday UK figures yeah. usually come out Tuesday morning that's, that's right Helen it is. it is no you're absolutely right well done Helen well done <laughs> good giving you the nod uh uh, so I, and I want to see what David was up to. Uh, someone asks, uh, what, um, Naomi, Khaleesi 101, 
what was Walter doing with the embryo in the beginning? He took out of stasis. Um, it's dead. Mm. It, it 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 has expired, and so he is removing it and putting it into a biohazard. Yeah. It leaves it behind a little pool of blood, and uh, you can actually see it. It doesn't yeah. look the same as the other embryo. Presumably, the computer told him it because he he only opens that one drawer. It's not like he checks all of them. He goes, yeah. oh, that one's fucked. But uh, I think presumably, yeah, he he goes around. He's he's visibly checking yeah. all the people in in hypersleep. And he's also going to check all the embryos to make sure. It's exactly what he's basically Crichton, isn't he? He's a maintenance <laughs> droid. Everything appears to be going well, sir. <laughs> uh, would the now okay? This is from Matthew Fagger's uh, pun together. Would the now defunct Blomkamp alien sequel have offered something more interesting? Um, I like sequels over prequels. I think at this point. Yeah. For the most part, there are probably exceptions. But. I think it would have been interesting. Again, it, it, it risks muddying the waters still further, but at this point, you know, we're in a swamp. So, um, yeah, I'd have been interested to see it. It looked fascinating from the concept art that went out there. I'd have been very interested to see what he was doing with it. But that seems to have all been, you know, any hope of him being involved seems to almost have been rubbished by Ridders, wasn't it, recently? Well, there, there was a story recently that basically there was no script, there was never a script for that mm. conception, so it was the concept art and a cool idea, and it hadn't really gone any further than that, so, I don't know. <laughs> La Potts asks, where did David get his hoodie? I didn't see any shops in the engineer's homeworld, <laughs> or barbers for that matter. Well, I think we can assume that there are shops on the engineer's homeworld, they're wearing clothes, so he, he just... have fashioned a hoodie? Yeah. The hoodie is a very versatile item. I don't think it's stretching credibility to think that it has spread to the outer reaches of the galaxy. Also, I don't know what the I don't know what the crew of the Prometheus had brought onto the alien ship before they took off in it. It's possible that among those things was a hoodie. David certainly had a bag with him, did he not? Because his head was in it at one point. There's no reason there couldn't have been a hoodie in the bag. Or perhaps they were just engineer chavs somewhere and he <laughs> found some of them and... and oh, it's not a chav thing, James. <laughs> Hug a hoodie. Early. Hug a hoodie. What are you, in 1996? What is going on? <laughs> um, David L. Moran is the person who pointed out that uh, Daniels, uh, except it's not Daniels, it's Branson, uh, says he's going to hypersleep as he's unwell and burning up. Uh, so well done, David Moran, for spotting that. Jared uh, Gillett uh, asks, when is Damien Bashir supposed to have been incubated whilst he's convalescing in the med bay, or does David get him while he's tending to his acid face? I think no, the- I think Lope might remember that. <laughs> it's like, that, that guy just put something in me. He, it's when he's on the planet and he gets a face It's when he's on the planet and he gets a face hugger on him, yeah. yeah. But again, I mean, it's not on him for very long. Yeah, so this a, is a very accelerated cycle. Premature well, embryo ejaculation yeah, on the part of the face hugger. It's on his face just long enough to force something down his throat and have it, and then, and and then it gets off cut it off. Yeah. Just the tip. And uh, if you notice, whenever they prize the facehugger away from his face, it curls up in the corner and dies. And we know that only happens whenever they implant something. But I have a problem with that as well, because we know it's been established. Even in films that Ridley Scott may or may not have seen, <laughs> it's been established that once you have the facehugger on you, you become unconscious, that it, 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 it puts you into a temporary coma while it implants the embryo inside you. And that doesn't happen to Lope. Maybe it's an imperfect facehugger. David's still tweaking the recipe. Might explain why the alien is so stupid when it emerges from him <laughs> on the ship. We are retconning like crazy here, people. <laughs> yeah, with John Logan and Dante Harper, you're welcome <laughs> for us papering over the cracks of this film. Did you ever read the original Dark Horse Aliens comic where they have the space jockey in it? But obviously they imagine it based on how it looks in Alien, so it's like a little alien elephant creature with a trunk and a jetpack. No? <laughs> I don't remember that now. Yeah, it just did, yeah. 
Okay, well, that's a thing. You know, the more I think about it, the more it'd be really interesting if Walter is alive on the planet, but is there long enough to go a bit loopy like David. But then someone would need to land on the planet. Yeah. And re-encounter Walter. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. I'll allow it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you just like the fastbender, don't you? What? No. Yeah. And in this film, we almost got to see him bend his own fast. Imagine. Just imagine. Maybe he's saving that for the Alien uh, 3, whatever that one's going to be called. Uh, right, but I think, we've, I think we've answered pretty much everything that you guys have asked via Twitter DM. Apologies once again if you didn't have your name read out, uh, but we did hopefully answer your question. Uh, and that is it, I reckon, unless you have any final thoughts. No, I think that's, that's it. <laughs> this really. movie has sucked the final thoughts from your brain. Final thoughts. Um, I, I felt more warmly towards it on my second viewing, I will say that. I, I, I liked it more. And like I say, it did make me like Prometheus a little bit more than I did, which is not hard because I really, really didn't like Prometheus. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where they go from here. I'm not giving up on it. Was anyone in this movie as stupid as the Charlize Theron character in the last one? No. Who obviously <laughs> Run sideways. Yeah. <laughs> I would argue, I argue not. Um, I thought, I, I thought also the dialogue wasn't as bad as it is in Prometheus. I mean, you have Sean Harris bellowing, "I have, I love rocks," but you have that other the character, the one who gets infected. You know, the character name's Helen. Well, and I do because I've done my research. The one who yells, "I hate space!" Oh yeah, at one was, point. Yeah, I mean, that's no, pretty. That's never bad. I speak of that. James, any final thoughts? This this makes me want to to watch Prometheus again. It makes me want to watch this again as well. I would like to rewatch Prometheus, then rewatch this, and sort of see if I can. Uh, feel slightly warmer towards it um i wish i I would i wanted to like this film uh, a lot so it's a shame that i didn't and i feel that i've been a voice of negativity uh really yeah do you think maybe maybe a touch um but i'll I'll watch it again and see see if it does grow on me like i say i mean i was one of the few people who liked prometheus when everyone was kicking that i i genuinely liked that film i really enjoyed it so perhaps i'm just mental and that's really what it is I, I like the first half. Uh, again, the, the risk of repeating myself, I think the second half isn't anywhere near as good as mm. that, but I am really, really like David, even though he's a big problem <laughs> for the film. Uh, but I just wish the film, in terms of the tension, uh, had lived up to that amazing poster with the alien's face on it and run. And even that uh, other poster, with uh, which was very Dante uh, inspired mm, yeah. with the, the aliens and the face huggers grabbing lots of people I think the posters of this film have been a lot better and a lot more cryptic than the trailers for this film and I kind of wish I I said in the podcast the regular podcast a few months ago that I wasn't go, I was going I'd seen too much and I was going to go into this film as blind as I possibly could mm. and then I made the mistake of watching the second trailer oh and, mistake yeah uh, one final thought, actually. Oh, okay. That's not the way that you should display the David. If you happen to own Michelangelo's David, uh-huh. why on earth would you have it in a room that isn't big enough for it? Where you can't see its head. I mean, like, what, does he have it on multiple levels? Like, it doesn't. That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I mean, as it is, he just has a big penis in the middle of his living room. Well, not even a very big one. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. It's the fast better is going over there and going, nah, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I got that beat. I got that beat. It's, 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 I mean, I, I see what they, you know, that the, they've clearly tried to make it work for the production design of the room, but that it's just, uh, you know. I did think that when I saw it. I was like, what are you doing with that? Yeah. And also, I was never impressed by the David, and then I saw it in person. I'm like, okay, that's, that's amazing. So I recommend going to Florence. That's my final thought. He was cold. It was it, just a yeah. tough day. He, was, it, he it wasn't was feeling himself. It was fashion at the time. Okay. They didn't think it was elegant. That's what to... I tell my wife. There you go. It's the fashion at the time, honey. Now. <laughs> anyway, 
on that bombshell that is it for our Alien Covenant uh, spoiler special thank you so much for listening thanks for your patience for enduring that the uh, the prequel to this will come out in 20 years time and answer all your questions it, probably in really unsatisfactory uh, ways uh the regular podcast is out every Friday. Do listen to that if you if you don't already. Do subscribe on iTunes if you don't already. And do leave us nice reviews as well. We do like that. It always, always helps. Indeed. Nice to feel validated. Uh, our next spoiler special will be Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, because I refuse to call it Pirates of the Caribbean, Salazar's Revenge. Uh, no, I just prefer the original title. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Salazar's Revenge, with the film's directors Joachim Ronin and Espen Sandberg. So do check that one out. That's going to be out in a couple of weeks' time as well. Until then, from this Alien Covenant uh, spoiler special, it's goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. It's goodbye from James. Goodbye. Is it James or is it David? <gasps> Can we dream now? <laughs> <laughs> and that's goodbye from me. Thanks a lot. Bye.